I've been pastoring for nearly 36 years, and I've never spoken to an entirely online audience before. I'm thankful for the technology that makes that possible, but actually a little sad for the reason that makes it necessary. Obviously, COVID-19, the coronavirus, has impacted and has impacted all of us. Um, it's been broad-reaching in its scope all across the world. Uh, it's impacted the world and national and local economies. Uh, it's impacted many people um, from a physical standpoint. And right now, it's even impacting common everyday activities like school, work, and even worship. So here at New Life, uh, some of you probably are thinking, maybe the leadership overreacted by just having worship online, canceling church services. And the interesting thing about being an American, the great thing about being American is we're all uh, filled with opinions and we're entitled to have them and express them. Uh, that's the beauty of being an American. But I explained in a brief video on Friday the reason why we canceled live services. And uh, I'm going to review that just briefly in case you missed it. And uh, it's actually going to be up on the screen. Uh, after prayer and discussion, the lead team saw it as wise and proactive not to gather in large groups for this weekend, which guarantees that we're not going to risk spreading the uh, COVID-19 virus with one another. And we wanted to affirm the decision of our governing authorities, in particular Governor Tom Wolf, who wants us to limit gatherings of more than 250 because um, it was offered with the intent of protecting the public. So while we weren't legally required as a religious organization, organization to follow that mandate, we saw the request as reasonable. So we're going to continue to monitor the developments around us. We're going to see what's going on. So we may be worshiping here next weekend as a, as a church body, as we usually do, as we always have except for today. Um, or we may be worshiping once again um, online. We'll just have to wait and see. And all the other activities of the church will be subject to... What, what we see un, unroll here and, and play out with the uh, coronavirus. As Pastor Alex reminded us during the announcements this evening, the New Life students are going to be having this similar kind of experience this Tuesday evening as we're having today. So, we also chose to go a different direction with this weekend's message than uh, we were planning to. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know we, we're in the midst of a series called Experiencing the Spirit. The first two messages were delivered the last two weeks, and today you would expect the third one. Well, we're not going to, to actually do that. We're going to suspend that series just for a week, or maybe, we're not sure, for maybe a little bit longer. But as I was uh, coming to the church on Friday to talk with the lead team about our plans for this weekend and for the future, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and gave me a scripture and a theme for this weekend's message. And when I uh, talked with the lead team about that on Friday, they agreed it was the right direction. Back in the fall, when we worked our way through the Experiencing God series, we talked about the seven realities of experiencing God. And the fourth reality is simply this, that God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and other believers. Here at New Life, we take that seriously. We don't make our decisions based on our feelings. We don't make our decisions based on what the popular opinion is. We make our decisions based on what the Holy Spirit says to us through the Bible, through prayer, through the circumstances of life, and through other believers. I'm grateful that God has given us such clear direction 
and focus for how we can live our lives and make our decisions daily. Before we turn to this weekend's scripture, let's look at today's take-home point. The take-home point is the one point that we make each week from Scripture that we hope that we'll take home, and actually you're already home, so you can just use it right where you are this week, and we hope that you'll pray through it and that you'll live it out in the week ahead. So here it is. When life comes crashing in all around us, Jesus is in control and brings us peace. Now, for those of you who are used to having an outline right now where you can fill in the blanks, We're not having that this weekend only because whether we're going to be here next weekend or whether we're going to be home next weekend and having the service online, we'll be back to having the outline. But you could certainly take notes even without the outline we provide, and I recommend that. There's an old proverb that says the palest ink is better better than the best memory. In other words, when we take notes, we remember things more effectively. So our take-home point reminds us of something very powerful, Jesus is in control. He was not surprised by the coronavirus. He wasn't surprised to hear about it when it happened last fall or when we discovered it last fall. He certainly doesn't get his news about it from turning on the TV or from looking in the newspaper. And in fact, Jesus is quite aware of what's going on in the world around us. This evening, or I guess this morning, whenever you're watching this, this weekend, we're going to be talking about a scripture from the second gospel, the gospel of Mark. There are four gospels in the New Testament that record the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And in the second one, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, we're going to be looking at an incident that happened that shows us just how in control Jesus really is. Before we turn there, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and love. We thank you for the life you give us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit who leads and guides and directs us. And God, we ask tonight that that Spirit would impress the Scripture we're about to read into our minds and into our hearts so that as we navigate the current situation in the world around us, that we would do so in faith and not fear and that we would have your peace, which passes all human understanding in every moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. We read, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, Peace, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. I had the opportunity to ride a boat on the Sea of Galilee back in October of 2019. On that particular day, it was a relatively calm sea or lake. It's really just a big lake is all it is. Um, And and while we were riding on on the boat, our tour guide told us that because of the geography of northern Israel and the climate, it's possible for in a matter of minutes for a calm sea, 
calm lake to turn into a tempest, which is what we read about here this evening. Now, four of the 12 disciples were fishermen by trade, so a, a little bit of a storm wouldn't bother them very much. Apparently, this was a storm like nothing they had ever seen or experienced before. So let's stop there for a moment. A storm, an experience like something they had never experienced before. I don't know about you, how much you've watched or read about the COVID-19, the coronavirus, but it isn't the first coronavirus that's been discovered. In fact, it's the seventh. Coronaviruses were first identified in the mid-1960s. And when they were identified, uh, in the, uh, since they were identified in the mid-1960s, that means that some of us have lived through all seven of the coronaviruses. I'm one of those people. I was actually probably eight or ten years old when the first coronavirus was discovered. But this one has caught our attention like none before. Now, perhaps that's because the instantaneous news coverage we have in this day and age. Some would say because of the, the opinions that are expressed moment by moment, second by second, from all different kinds of media markets all over the world. I never heard about the first coronavirus discovery when I was 8, 9, or 10, but I would wager that there's probably not an 8, 9, or 10-year-old in America today who hasn't heard about the coronavirus, unless his or her parents have been keeping them under a rock, right? Many of us think that the reporting is simply excessive hype and fear-mongering that's so common in our day. Others think it's politically motivated, and depending on your flavor of politics, you have your opinion about which party or which government it is that's behind it all. But we know this much. The current coronavirus pandemic is a storm that's impacting us all. The question is, how do we respond as Jesus' followers? And that's always the question. How do we respond as Jesus' followers? Jesus' original followers were in a boat with him when they faced a sudden and literal storm. According to Mark, Jesus was sleeping peacefully in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Jesus was totally oblivious to what was going on. Jesus didn't have a care in the world. And how did the disciples respond? We're, we're not told by Mark that they started you know, bailing the, the water out of the boat. We're not told that they sort of formed a, a debate about what would be the best way to address it. What we're told is this. The disciples woke him up, Jesus, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Whether we realize it or not, that was a prayer. Think about it. What is prayer? Prayer is communicating with God. Jesus is God. God was right in front of them, so they were praying in that moment. Jesus, well, actually, teacher. The, the, the prayer is pretty simple. Teacher, they didn't say God. They didn't say Messiah. They didn't say Lord. They said teacher. Jesus was their rabbi. He was their instructor. He was teaching them how they're supposed to live their lives. And so what happened was, the first thing is they wanted to make sure that, they, that, that the teacher recognized they needed his attention. And then the words that came up next are, don't you care? Don't you care? Now think about that. This teacher who had shown them great love, great affection, who had been there to meet all of their needs, and the question is, don't you care? Well, Jesus didn't care at the moment. He was sleeping. Jesus didn't care about anything at the moment. Did you care about very much when you're sleeping? He was comfortable. He was oblivious to what was going on. And the thing is, the disciples assumed that because Jesus was at rest, Jesus was at peace. He didn't care. Have you ever thought that Jesus didn't care about something in your life? 
Maybe you've been sick and you think Jesus doesn't care. Maybe you lost your job and you think Jesus doesn't care. Maybe you've been going through a crisis in your life and you just think, wow, Jesus just doesn't care. When the disciples said, Jesus, don't you care? They let him know what was at stake. Don't you care that we're going to drown? You see, the disciples had a crisis on their hands that they thought was a matter of life and death. They thought in a few moments they would be dead. And so they were wrong. They, they, they thought Jesus didn't care. They were wrong about that. They thought about the outcome, that they were going to die. They were wrong about that. They were 100% wrong. And if we have ever thought that Jesus doesn't care about our needs, about what's going on in our lives, we also have an inaccurate assessment of Jesus because Jesus loves us more than we love ourselves. Jesus cares about us more than we care about ourselves. There's never a moment in time when Jesus doesn't care. So let's look at how Jesus responded. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, peace, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and they were, there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? <laughs> wow. That's a pretty amazing response. I mean, there's a storm all around. The boat's going to sink. And suddenly, the disciples who just a moment ago said, don't you care, are looking at their reflection in a glass still lake. Jesus turns to the disciples and asks them a couple questions now. But before we, before we turn to those questions, let's let this moment sink in. There was a crisis all around. Life and death crisis. Jesus addresses not the people, but the crisis. And he says, peace, be still. And it happens just like that. Jesus didn't give the disciples a moment to let it sink in. What he did was ask them two penetrating questions. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? That is the question. When we face the crises in our own lives such as the current crisis that's going on all over the world. The question is, do we have faith? Why are we afraid? There's no need to fear if Jesus is in our lives. This past Tuesday, I was in a small city in India, and we were at a worship service. It was interesting. It was at the end of a dead-end street, and there was a tent and there was a worship service going on. We came as the service was a little bit underway. They were singing together. And Pastor Pat Summers from Think Missions and I were with Pastor Peter Silamula, who is a pastor from India, who runs Dawn Ministries. And we came in, and they ushered us up to the front in the honored place, you know, for the guests. And as we were worshiping, we saw something that was a little disconcerting, to be frank. Uh, we saw 20 men gathering about 30 feet behind the tent. Now, that wouldn't ordinarily bother me, except for Pastor Silamula had told us on several occasions about how Hindu radicals had beaten the pastors of some of his churches. And so Pastor Pat turns to me, because Pastor Peter Silamula was talking at the time, and he said, I don't think those guys look like they're liking what's going on here. And so I did something unusual. I prayed to God for protection. Now, why that's unusual is I almost never pray to God for protection. I pray to God for boldness. In that moment, I didn't feel very bold. I just wanted God to protect us. That's what I wanted. 
I wanted to make sure that whatever those guys were doing back there, that um, God would protect us from it. And within a couple of minutes, the, the, whatever they wanted, we don't know for sure, because they seemed to lose interest and they just walked away a couple minutes later. And uh, after this service, the local pastor... Pastor Raju was his name and very, spoke very good English. Actually, one of the few people that we met in India, uh, other than Pastor Peter Silamua and Pastor Basant Lama, who spoke really good English, invited us to come over to his house because he wanted to show us the sewing ministry that his wife was operating out of their house. And the sewing ministry is for, uh, mostly for single mothers and young women who don't have a way of making any income supporting themselves, and in that situation, they're at risk for many things, and none of them are, are good. And, and so we went over, and we saw the sewing machines, and we took pictures with the women who were, um, you know, part of the, of the group that were currently learning how to sew. And then uh, after that, the pastor and his wife started uh, feeding the, the congregation, which was like 44 people were there in the middle of a Thursday morning, which we thought was pretty interesting. But they started feeding the folks. And as we were standing there waiting, because we were going to have a snack with the pastor and his wife, uh, a line started to form. And the line was for people to be prayed over. So Pastor Silamul and I were standing here, and the first person in line was a, a, a woman, probably, I can't say for sure, but probably in her mid-20s. And she spoke uh, to Pastor uh, Silamula, and he turned to me, and he said, this woman has HIV, and she wants you to lay hands on her and pray for her. And as soon as I heard that, this is honestly what came to my mind. Jesus, when he was asked by the leper, if you're willing, you can heal me. And what Jesus did was reach out and touch the, the man and healed him. And so I reached out my hand, I put it on the woman's shoulder, and immediately when I put my hand on her shoulder, her eyes turned to my hand, and I could feel her body relax, and I could see the expression of her face become calmer, and we prayed together. And I thank God in that moment for having the opportunity to respond appropriately to one of Jesus' precious children. While in India, we met pastors who had been beaten simply for standing up for Jesus. One pastor I will never forget was 72 years old. We met him uh, in his son's house. He had actually just come from the hospital. He had been in the hospital that day. And we were sitting there and we heard his story. As a young man, he had come to the area where we were. It was in one of the tea gardens. And a tea garden isn't what I thought of a tea garden. It's like thousands of acres of tea bushes. Anyway, he came there because Jesus called him to come. And so he went to a certain region, a certain village, and he went there and he proclaimed Jesus, and they beat him. And so he went home until he healed. And then he went back and he proclaimed Jesus, and they beat him again. And he went back home until he healed. And this went on for months and months and months. Eventually, one person heard the message and responded to it, turned his life over to Jesus. And eventually, the one person became two, and the two became four, and eventually a church was established there. And that night that we were there, we actually had gone to have a worship service at that church, which is now being pastored by his son. 
And we went in there, and the people were so joyful, and there was praise and worship going on, and there were probably 50 or 60 people there that night. And one of the members of our team stood up that night and preached a message, and in the message at the end, he said, does anybody here want to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord? For the very first time, and 15 people came forward, including the two Hindu drivers who had been driving our team around that week. And they had not ever even come into a worship service. And Pastor Besson had been using those two guys as drivers for several years. But that night they came in and that night they turned their lives over to Jesus Christ. That pastor traced a tremendous storm that none of us can probably imagine for years. And because of that, there is now a healthy, growing church where the light of Jesus shines in that community. So it is in our case right now. Jesus stands beside us in this storm that we're weathering. We don't need to be afraid of the coronavirus. We can be filled with peace and calm as we let Jesus address the storm and place our faith in him. When the disciples saw what happened, when they saw the calm after the storm, when they heard what Jesus said, this is how they responded. They said, it says the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. We have an advantage the disciples didn't. We live on the resurrection side of history. We know for sure who Jesus is. They had an idea of who Jesus was. They thought he might be the Messiah. They knew he was a great teacher. But when they saw a man who could command the weather, they were terrified. They had never experienced anything like that. It's easy for us to read an account like that and say, well, that never happened. Or to say, well, it probably happened, but you know, nowadays what we need to do is we just need to, we just need to be strong. We just need to take care of this for ourselves. Jesus didn't give us magic formulas to calm storms. He did give us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live calmly and peacefully and powerfully in every situation we face. Right before Jesus was handed over to be crucified, I mean, the night that Jesus was handed over to be crucified, he told his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again from the dead. I'm going to go back to heaven. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He used language that the disciples found cryptic and hard to understand. So he spoke to them more directly at this moment. And the disciples said, now we understand and now we believe. So they heard the message, what Jesus was doing, what it was going to happen, what was going to ultimately happen. And they said, we get it and we believe it. And what Jesus said is this, do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed it's here right now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus told those men that they would abandon him. And he didn't mind that because his father was with him. He told them that later, though, they would return to him and that they would experience peace that would come through the Holy Spirit's presence in their life. 
Then Jesus made a powerful statement of the reality that we all face as followers of Jesus in every era of history. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Nothing we face in this life can overcome us when we hold on to Jesus. Jesus told us we're going to have many trials and sorrows. You know the interesting thing? Many American Christians believe that because they're following Jesus, they're always going to have blessing and prosperity. But that's the opposite of what Jesus said here. Many times, we're going to face trials and suffering. That Indian pastor who kept going back to the village time after time after time after time after he was beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten did so because he knew he was going to have trials in this life and sorrows in this life, but that Jesus had overcome the world. And his persistence, his belief in a master who had already saved him from sin and death and would give him eternal life allowed him to keep going back in that situation and going back in that situation till that storm passed, until his victory came. In our current, in our current situation, we can live in fear. We can. We can ask ourselves, what if I get the coronavirus? What if it spreads everywhere? What if? And there are so many what ifs. About the third day that I was in India, I developed a sore throat. And I developed a cough. Each day I was in India, it got worse and worse and worse. Of course, the first three days I was in India, my job at the work site was to mix mortar mix and sand on the ground. So there was constant dust coming into my lungs. Then on Friday, I spoke for five and a half hours at a pastor's conference. Then I preached on Sunday. Then I spoke for three more hours on Monday. By the time we were ready to leave on Tuesday, my eyes were watering, I was coughing consistently, and my throat was raw. Some people said to me, do you think you have the coronavirus? I said, no, I think I have a sore throat and a cough. But when I came back home, I went to the doctor. And when I called the doctor and said, I have a sore throat and a cough, and my eyes are watering, and I've been in India for the last two weeks. He said, let me call you back. I have to call the health department before I know what to do. So about 10 minutes later, he called me back, and he said, okay, uh, come on in. And he said, can you come right now? I said, yes. He said, do you have a mask? I said, yes. He said, wear it, please. So I did. So I went to the doctor's office, and you know how you go into a doctor's office and you sort of sit down and wait forever? As soon as I walked in the door, they said, Mr. Marshall, come on right over here, open up the door, took me back to a room, and I sat by myself until two people came in dressed like they thought I was radioactive. They, the doctor, first of all, the nurse took my temperature, normal. Then the, the doctor came in, and he checked my lungs, clear. Then he asked me if I was short of breath. I said, no. And uh, he, he said, well, without doing a CT scan of your lungs, I can't say for sure, but I think you have a sore throat and a cough. I said, that's what I think too. I share that story because I knew I didn't have the coronavirus, but in this environment, it was the wise thing for me to go and get checked. I mean, I had been out of the country. I had been on airplanes for 20-some hours with people from who knows where. 
And so I came home, and I went to the doctor, and I still have a sore throat, and I still have a cough. But here's the thing. Jesus would have been in control if I had the coronavirus or if I didn't. In our lives, we can either be afraid of what might happen. We can sit in our homes, and we need to be careful. I mean, obviously, none of us are here tonight. You're at home because we want to be cautious. We want to do what the governing authorities ask us to do when it's reasonable, which it was reasonable. And we want to take proper steps in the days and weeks ahead, and we're going to do that. But we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is in charge of our lives. Jesus is the one who who is going to ultimately calm the storm, whatever it might be that you're facing in your life right now, and this big one that all of us are facing together right now. The key is putting our faith in Jesus first. Putting our faith in Jesus first. Not being afraid first, not lacking faith first, but putting our faith in Jesus first and dealing with life storms in his power in the power of the Holy Spirit that he has given us. As we do that, we're going to be able to live out today's next step. And here it is. I will let the peace of Jesus calm my fears this week so I can live victoriously each day. I will let the peace of Jesus calm my fears this week so I can live victoriously each day. Whatever you're facing now, whatever you're facing right now, Jesus is bigger than it. Turn to him Let him calm your fears. Let him calm the storms of your life and give you victory in every situation. It's by far the best way to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that whatever we face, coronavirus, cancer, loss of job, whatever it is that we face, whatever storm that comes in our life, you're there. Your son Jesus has died on the cross and risen from the dead to show your power and your love. And now, God, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us your peace that passes all human understanding in every moment of our lives, especially in this moment, tonight, today, in Jesus' name, amen.